This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com BE. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where I help you stop putting out fires and start leading. I am your host, Jethro Jones. You can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. One of the best pieces of feedback that I've gotten during the pandemic with the masterminds that I run is that principals are enjoying talking about instruction and not just talking about COVID rules and regulations. It's one of the great things that we get to do in the mastermind is focus on the things that really matter. And sometimes we try to focus on other things, on the distractions that take us away from our vision, but we're always able to come back because our whole goal is to help us get our schools to where they need to be. So I would love to have you in there. And if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you've probably heard me talk about it before. You probably have questions. Just go to jethrojones.com slash mastermind and let's set up a time to call, to talk about it. That's jethrojones.com slash mastermind and then click on schedule a call. I look forward to talking with you. Again, that's jethrojones.com slash mastermind. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I'm very excited today to have Brian Hayosaka on the program today. Brian is a teacher at Embark, which is, uh, you may remember from episode 343. If you haven't gone back and listened to that, then I would suggest you do that. We'll give a little introduction here, but episode 343, that's com slash podcast slash episode 343. And after talking to Miguel, I thought it'd be great to talk to one of his teachers. And so he put me in touch with Brian and we can talk about what he's doing now. So Brian uh, grew up in the Chicago area, son of a career high school special educator, and he's done Teach for America. He's lived in Guatemala and done all kinds of other things that uh, we won't totally get into, but I'll put his whole bio in the show notes because it's really quite fascinating. We'll, we'll probably talk about some of that. Um, so Brian, welcome to Transformative Principle. Happy to have you here. Thank you. I'm happy to be here with you. Yeah, I am excited about what you're doing. So uh, just give us like a 30 second overview of what Embark is and why it's different than most other schools out there. Sure. I mean, I think that at its core, we're doing what all other schools are trying to do. And so what we talk about is uh, our design pillars are being learner-centered, embedded, and then integrated. But we're also a micro school. And I think what fascinates a lot of people is that 
We are a micro school embedded within two small businesses, Pinwheel Coffee and Framework Cycles, uh, two shops located in North Denver, Colorado. And so we are looking at, you know, how can we uh, re-envision what education can be in service in service of centering on our learners. Yeah, and as as I mentioned, we've already talked to um, Miguel Gonzalez about that, and there's some really fascinating stuff that that y'all are doing over there, and I just think it's really exciting. So, talk to us a little bit about the lemon lavender mocha, or t- say it right if I didn't say it right. Tell us about that. Yeah, so it's actually a lemon lavender latte. You know, as, as educators, Thank we you. love we love alliteration. Uh, and thankfully our students do too. So sure. So right now the lemon lavender latte is the top selling spring seasonal beverage uh, on the menu of pinwheel coffee. And, and that alone isn't really what makes it interesting. Although the drink I have to tell you is delicious. What makes it interesting is that it was fully created, designed, tested by two sixth grade students who don't even like coffee. Um, so you know, it, it came out of this, this collaboration with Joe, who's the manager of Pinwheel Coffee. And part of being embedded is trying to think about, you know, not just like what are the contrived challenges we can place in front of, of students, but really what are the challenges the shops are facing? And so I'd say back in December, Joe and I had a conversation and he was saying, you know, look, we, we need some fresh ideas for, uh, for upcoming spring beverages. And, and so I, you know, I put my teacher brain to, to the rescue there. And we enlisted our sixth grade students in uh, from scratch, brainstorming spring seasonal beverages. And this was actually the way that we approached science, math, literacy. Uh, and so they got into the test kitchen and brainstormed their ideas. They came up with ingredient lists. They came up with recipes and charted their variables. Um, I made a lot of trips to, to the grocery store and, you know, I sort of joke about like how most schools I've been at, my, my budget is, is all about textbooks and pencils and notebooks. And, and here at Embark, my classroom budget has been spent on citrus and sugar. Uh, and so it, it's been really fun. And, and the students just took over. Um, you know, in, in the case of the lemon lavender latte, they must have tested this drink in, in at least 10 different iterations before pitching it to a panel of professional judges. And they just knocked it out of the park. And, and so for us coming into it, we didn't really have any preconceived notions that we would get a winner out of it, but but man, did we ever. And so it's been just really cool. Now they've, you know, they've made hundreds of dollars in profit. And and what's interesting, one, you know, one more interesting thing about it is I suggested to Joe that maybe we publicize this as a student drink. And Joe told me. No, because if we do that, we're we're telling people the quality isn't as good. And so I, you know, I trusted the professional thing. I trusted the professional instinct there. And he was right. We didn't need to sell it as a student drink. There is nothing on the menu that says the students created this drink, and yet people are ordering it, loving it, and leaving Google reviews. So it's it's been really, really neat to see. Yeah, I mean, that is just so cool. And I love how it's real authentic and instead of wasting your budget on textbooks, you're spending it on helping kids do something that really matters and is really real because uh, Joe is seeing the the benefits of a good idea and what that means. And I love that they didn't get it on their first try and that there wasn't a, you know, a, a false project created to help them do project-based learning. It was a real thing that's going to have real impact 
And to be honest, if it doesn't sell, it was an awful product. <laughs> and that's all there is to it. And what a great lesson for them to learn early on. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's the other thing we talked about was, you know, we had we had four drink proposals. And in the end, three of them have gone into the shop. One, the lemon lavender latte has is selling like crazy. Another, uh, which two of them combined to form a lemonade series. And those are selling now, you know, and they're doing okay. They're not doing quite as well. And the fourth, it just, you know, their, their proposal wasn't going to work. And so we then talked about the learning that comes out of it. And, and so there's so many different ways that you can assess and, and measure whether or not we were successful in this product in this way, we were able to show the students that their learning matters and it, you know, it doesn't just matter on a paper and pencil test, which has been really empowering, I think, for them and, and likewise for us as adults, to be honest. Well, and talk a little bit about the process of helping them go through and learn what they need to do to, to get it there because they they don't even like coffee and so they don't have you know, an idea of what, where the starting place should be. So how did you define a starting place with them and how did you help them get to the point where they could actually create something that was really good? Yeah. Well, so we definitely need to create the conditions. And so some of this, you know, we, we work with the coffee shop closely. We're part of the coffee shop, to be honest. And so earlier in the year, they had been doing basically a barista boot camp where they learned how to brew basic drinks that, you know, most listeners will know about whether it's a drip coffee or a latte or a cappuccino, learning about temperature and ratios. And so we'd done a lot of the sort of the back work so that they understood the processes, you know, the, the heat that was required and the level of specificity. And so they were, they were aware of all of that. And then, you know, I, I as an educator, I've always loved the, the notion of low floor, high ceiling tasks. And so we offered it to the students that way that if they wanted to use um, something that they found on the internet as a starting point that they could. And, but likewise, I challenged them to see what would happen if they just tried ratios that they thought made sense. And, and I'll, I'll tell you three of the four groups went that direction. And it was funny because their drinks were terrible to start. Uh, but, but that's, that's the learning. And so, you know, they, they just continued to hone those recipes um, over the weeks, putting them in front of students and adults. And actually some of them grew to, to like coffee. <laughs> it is, it is an acquired taste. Um, but, but off, you know, what was funny is the students always loved adding more sugar and the adults, when they tested, were always like, Whoa, this is sweet. And so, you know, we had to then get into this idea of who's your target audience, uh, who are, who are our clientele. And they, you know, they did a lot of observation and polling of, current customers to realize, okay, yeah, we could make a drink that is super sweet and appeals to the palate of a 12 or 13 year old, but that's not our target market. And so in the end, they had to learn about validity of data and thinking about, do I, you know, do I weigh one person's opinion over another? And so, I mean, there's just so many opportunities here for, for learning and exploration and and utilizing the standards in a way that I think is actually enriching. And so that has been really neat for us to you know, I don't want to say play with, but in, but in a sense, you know, at Embark, we are, we are playing. We're we're viewing education as science, and, and science, you know, in our in our estimation, especially in middle school, should be fun. Uh, and I like that approach of it's okay to see education as a game. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. That's a perfectly acceptable way to look at it because education already is a game in a traditional sense, and it is about jumping through hoops and and doing the right thing, following the rules to get ahead. And I mean, that's, that's 
it's appropriate to see it in a more playful game than such a serious game. John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says stop talking and start doing with regard to teacher well-being, and much more. These books, used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide, amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. Now, we love to talk about the examples of this lemon lavender latte that is now one of the top selling spring beverages at pinwheel coffee. That's all well and good. But what about those other groups where the kids didn't get that? Did they not learn something because theirs wasn't the winner? No, I mean, I think in a lot of senses, you might, you might argue that they learned more. Um, You know, we, we are a competency-based school. And so throughout this project, some of the competencies we were most focused on were quantitative reasoning, critical thinking, and collaboration. And so specifically around the group that didn't make it to the end, you know, they, we were able to reflect on the breakdowns in their collaboration to see that, you know, when they were not collaborating well, it was a loss of time. And so they could look at the lack of data for quantitative reasoning in that they only ended up testing their drink maybe four times versus the groups that were more successful tested their drinks upwards of eight to 10 times. And so I think it would be a loss a loss of learning if you didn't circle back to reflect and to debrief with the students what had happened and then to goal set out of it. Uh, and, and so out of this has come out of some of those you know, failures, if you will, we, the goal is always to fail forward, but how do we do that? I mean, I think, so the next time we had a, we had a group setting, those students understood that collaboration is not a buzzword and working together isn't sitting in, in just in the same room together that there is actual meaning in these words. And so, I mean, they're, they're in sixth grade. Now we think about what, what will this look like at the end of a three, three year cycle with us here. And that part just kind of gives me the chills a little bit, just in seeing how far they've already come. And that's an important piece to notice also is that you guys do sixth, seventh and eighth there, right? We do. So this year we're separate on, on sixth, seventh, eighth. They're all separate because of COVID uh, however, next year, our intention is to have mixed age groups. And, you know, I've been, I've been sharing with these, this group of sixth graders that next year, they're going to be primed to lead. You know, of course, there'll be eighth graders around, but these experiences are not something that the, the next teacher won't, won't know about. Um, <laughs> I'll be one of their next teachers. So, so it is exciting just to think about what will their, what does their growth trajectory look like? Um, I think that was as a former fifth grade teacher, it was always a frustration of mine that you would think they were on a certain trajectory, but then they'd go off to middle school and you'd have no idea. So it is, it is nice to, for me personally, to be at kind of the other side of it and to be at the first year, uh, knowing that we're not done here. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's really powerful. I, I love what you said going back a bit to that the kids who didn't win may have won more than the kids who did and or may have learned more than the kids who did did win. Um, and I think that that kind of perspective is so helpful for our kids because we know that failure is a great instructor and it's a way better instructor than a human being who's a teacher who's trying to teach you how to how to succeed without making any mistakes. But when you can uh, make mistakes, you learn a lot from those failures and it's really powerful. What is the attitude like of those who aren't successful or those who don't develop quite as much or get the attention? What is their attitude of the failures that they're encountering? Yeah, it's a, it, that's a great question. I think that on the day they receive the the news or the scores, it's hard. Um, I don't think that, you know, hearing that you weren't as successful as you wanted to be is the news you want to hear. But I think at the same point, if you're giving, if you're giving the feedback all along the way, and if you are having open and honest conversations with students along the way, then there's also not this grand surprise. You know, what for us, it wasn't as if, you know, out of nowhere, they're like, oh, what happened? You know, we, we are, I meet with every student individually once per week. Uh, and we're, we're constantly conferencing, we're constantly role-playing and strategizing together. And so I think, first of all, you know, there wasn't a surprise for them, uh, but there was a sense for them of, I understand what went wrong. I understand what role I played in it. And I understand what I can do, what I can do better next time. I mean, one of the, one of the greatest markers, I think of the culture that we have here amongst the, the losing groups even was they probably have bought more of the lemon lavender latte than any, any other customer, <laughs> any other customer in the general public. And so there is no, there is no resentment or hostility. Uh, they're, they're very happy for their classmates because intimately they know how hard those other groups worked. And so I think that has been, it, it speaks to the culture and, and maybe that's a micro school thing. I'm not quite sure, but it really does say that they get it. Well, and this is, this is key because they, they are in, in more cases. So for example, if a teacher gives an A grade to a student and, a, and an F grade to another student, uh, especially in a traditional school, there's really no way for either one of them to know how or why they did better than the other person. And what I find really fascinating about that is that in this situation, they can see how the other person or the other teams did better, but they also see their own missteps, their own weaknesses coming to pass. And then they can really be grateful for that other team who did win because they know that they created something better than they did. And, and sometimes that's a subjective thing, even out in the real world world. In fact, I think it is a lot of the time, but I don't think that it's ever as subjective as it is in the classroom where a teacher has the final say, and there's no other way to say this, this is actually better than somebody else's. And so I think I kind of got off track there for a second, but, but what, what I see that is that they are recognizing that it's okay that someone truly beat me out because they were actually truly better. And I can agree that they were better. Whereas sometimes they say that person wasn't actually better, but they still got the awards or the accolades or whatever, because of whatever reason, like the, the smart, good behaved, well-behaved student who gets the teacher's attention all the time. Whereas the kid who's really struggling 
doesn't ever get positive attention. It's always negative attention. And they then resent that other student and the teacher for that negative attention when they really do have something to offer. I don't know if that makes any sense, Brian. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, no, I hear what you're saying. And what it, what it brings up for me is the idea of the zero sum game versus the infinite game. That's and, right. You know, I think this, this project may come off as a zero sum game, but it's not because we always, we always said to them from the very beginning, you know, they're, if all four of these drinks are good enough, they're all going on the menu. And what is good enough? Well, good enough is going to be decided upon by a, a panel of judges who are professionals. And actually, I, I wasn't a judge. I was in their corner the full time. And that, that part was important. You know, I didn't, because at the end of it, I didn't want it to be about me, their, their, their teacher. Um, I, I was their, their, their super fan, you know, recording things. And the judges made the decision absent of, you know, hopefully as, as absence of bias as could be, but it, but it really was an infinite game where we, we can all rise together. And I think that was the feeling too. Had we put it out there as the best drink is going to win, it would have been problematic. Um, it would have caused, I think, rifts within the community. And so that, that has been an interesting learning for me is, you know, I, I'm a, I'm an athlete. I, I love competition and there's a lot of, there's a lot of people who aren't a big fan of the the participation trophy. And, and I'm not sure that I am either, but I, you know, I, I do believe that, that life is not a zero sum game and there's value in competition, but the most important person for you to be competing with in the end is yourself. And so I think that's the methodology I try to take on with the students as well, as much as they can, as much as they can understand it, I guess. Yeah. So in the coaching work that I do with principals, uh, one of my quote unquote competitors is Daniel Bauer, who hosts the Better Leaders, Better Schools podcast. He and I are provide a similar service to school principals. However, he and I both recognize that neither one of us can serve every single principal out there. And so for us to have it be a zero sum game between the two of us is just ridiculous because there's plenty of people for us to serve. And because of that, we've been able to be more collaborative and supportive of each other rather than thinking that, you know, he's going to steal my customers or I'm going to steal his or something like that. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense when you take that approach, when there's so many principles out there that neither one of us could ever serve every single one of them exactly how they need it. And, and that sounds like the same kind of thing that you're talking about, that there's, there's competition but the competition is driven within each of us. The competition is driven by me trying to be my best and him trying to be his best and your students trying to be their best selves. And, and that's where the real value comes in because there's so much there's so much value in that that we need to take advantage of that because it's too easy to, to get discouraged or feel like you're not enough when really you totally are and everybody is. And, and that's what I really appreciate about, about this. So um, in closing, Brian, what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative leader like you? Yeah, I mean, I know it's a part of my bio and I, and I was, you know, I was in school leadership and assistant principal. I think that one of the things that a principal can do is to encourage bigger thinking. So I think that one of the things that Miguel has done consistently, who is the school director here, has has been to say, think bigger. And in in my experience in education, that's not the response you get often. And, and that response is not related to test scores. It it's related to this, this sense that, you know, that's that's a great idea. What would it look like to do that in an even bigger way? 
Uh, and that, that for me has been the most empowering question maybe that I've ever received in my, in my career, because every time I think about the next thing I'm going to put in front of, uh, in front of students, I'm always just asking myself, what would this look like if I did it just a little bit bigger? And, and that for me, um, part of the reason why, why I've had, I've toyed with leaving education over the years is because there was too much constraint and it was killing a little bit of my creativity. And Miguel, whether or not it was strategic, which I suspect it is because he's a very smart person, it, it just unleashed this sort of fire within me. And, um, and, I, and I, I know from meeting with so many educators that that fire is within all of them. And so I think asking that question of what would it look like to do this a little bit bigger uh, will, will really unleash them. Yeah, I think that's fantastic. Well, Brian, thank you so much for being part of Transformative Principle. So great to learn from you and hear your great stories of what you're doing. And I just appreciate you taking the time to come on and, and share your experience with us. Thank you. It's it's an honor to be a representative of Embark and uh, so nice to, to chat with you. Hey, middle school principals, what if I told you that all your teachers had to do to teach your students really valuable social and emotional competencies was just press play? In Control SEL is a fully automated video curriculum that teachers and students absolutely love. And that's because it's easy, and it looks just like a Netflix or a YouTube show. So all you have to do to hear about how it can completely transform your school is schedule your call. Tell us Jethro sent you, and you'll get 20% off if you feel like it's a good fit. So go now to www.incontrolsel.com slash strategy call to schedule your call today. The link will be in the show notes. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE.